With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Socks are the number one most requested item at homeless shelters. Underwear second and shirts are third. At Bombas, socks were first. Made with comfortable details for everyday wearing. Then underwear and shirts too. All designed to perfectly fit. At Bombas, every item you purchase means you're donating an essential clothing item to someone in need. One comfortable clothing item for you, one donated to someone in need. Bombas, comfort for all. Get 20% off your purchase at bombas.com slash comfy. Mirror man, mirror man, you twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Mirror man. And welcome to episode 25 of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. I'm here today with Matt. Hi, Pete. I'm here with Alfred. Fired up, ready to go. So we're off the back of a pretty excessive Saturday night. Everybody's feeling a little bit blue, but we're in the studio at 8 a.m., which means we have discipline. Um, it's, I think this is the first podcast we've done in a while where we're actually off the back of like a pretty good weekend. We won. That's good. A pr- solid performance. The handbrake was well and truly off. Arsene Wenger smiling again. Because it was Bournemouth. It was Bournemouth, it was, but I'll take it. I'll, I'll absolutely take it. And I'll take Cologne on Thursday as well. I'll take them all as victories because uh, this is going to be a tough season and we've got to take the joy um, where we can get it. So um, we're going to crack through this uh, quickly today. We've got a really interesting interview with uh, Tim Payton of the AST. Uh, there was uh, a Q&A with Ivan Gazidis at the weekend. So interesting to hear um, how confident he's feeling uh, after being well and truly neutered uh, this summer. Uh, and we've got like three three topics to crack on with. We've got uh, the Bournemouth game uh, and, the, and the talking points from there. We've got uh, Spurs Day night football to talk about a bit. Feels a bit weird doing that, uh, but it doesn't matter. We've got to take the positives where we can. And then we've got the big one, the real test of the season so far, uh, Chelsea. So we'll talk through the lineups. Uh, but before we get into that, um, Alfred, what's your favourite part of the show? It's when Matt reads us old shirt numbers. I know. Thank you, Alfred. Well, 
we are now at number 25, a quarter of a century of podcasts completed. And what a shirt number it is. The most recent recipient of the number 25 shirt. Just a big gooner, uh, but just had a little nasty little injury out on loan. Carl Jenkinson. Oh, he's... Sweet, isn't being he? a being a gooner goes a long way, doesn't it? Yeah, he he always look like he always looks like he's accidentally walked into a photograph, doesn't he? Poor yeah. Carl. So that's Carl. Not that much to be said. When you, his sort of career highlight was the goal against Norwich, wasn't it? That was and his uh, his rampant celebration. Talking about rampant celebrations, this guy could have had it all. Emmanuel Adebayor. I I love Adebayor. When in his in his peak, like that season where he scored like twenty five goals, he was a monster, wasn't he? And and he didn't. He scored some brilliant goals. Remember that one against Spurs where yeah. he chested it. It's, oh, it's spectacular. He um he he was always great when he had a contract on offer. Yeah. As soon as that contract came in, he just went downhill. He was uh, he was an animal. Um, Kerry Gilbert, do you remember him? Kerry Gilbert he played in the Champions League a couple of times, didn't he? Speedy little fullback, not a bad player. In the one or two performances we saw of him, sunk without trace. Carnu, uh, Carnu, oh. oh magic, silky, weirdest striker ever. <laughs> just because some that, of those goals he scored, they were beyond the pale. He was they? just sort of looked like he had two left feet, and then would just do incredible. You went that? Were you at the Chelsea game? Well, you, no, you weren't. That that was that was special. Yeah, I, that I've, that hat trick has been shown many many times, and hopefully we'll be celebrating a similar type of performance this weekend. But I doubt it. Um, and then some sort of reserve players. Scott Marshall, do you remember him? I remember him. Yep. Very unmemorable. Yep. Mark Flats, very fast didn't we, winger. Didn't we have Mark Flats last week? As well. No. 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 Similar, similar shirt couple. number. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, Neil Neil Heaney. No, I don't remember Neil yeah. Heaney. The only thing I remember about Neil Heaney, he was in like a Panini sticker book I had a long time ago, and he looked like he had a whole tub of wet look hair gel on his head. <laughs> well, that that was uh, that was that was interesting and bland at the same time. Yeah, not not the best shirt number, really, was it? No. Whenever Jenkinson is the highlight of something, um, yeah. Or just, just wait for number 26 next week. <laughs> so before we get into the meat of the Arsenal Opinion podcast today, we've got a treat for you. We've got Tim Payton from the AST. Uh, he's here to report on uh, on some of his thoughts from the transfer window, as well as uh, the, the Q&A with Arsenal CEO Ivan Gazidis. Enjoy. So I have uh, Tim Payton from uh, the AST uh, on the phone with us. Welcome to the Arsenal Opinion Podcast, Tim. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be on. Brilliant. Well, we've got, um, we've got quite a, a beastly agenda um, to get through today. So um, why, don't we, uh, why don't we start at the beginning? Uh, what are your thoughts on the transfer window that just passed? Gosh, could fill up your entire recording here. <laughs> it, it was very much a reflection, a microcosm of, of, of modern-day Arsenal, wasn't it? Um, missed opportunities, debates about how much resources are actually there to be used or not, lack of clarity in strategic direction, and ultimately yet another window that you felt there's one that got away or 
probably means that this season is more about can you cling on and survive? And that really means get back into the top four so that you can go again next year. But my God, wasn't it just another Arsenal transfer window? Yes, it started off very promisingly. We signed two players um, fairly early uh, and then nothing happened until the back end and there was a bit of a uh, reaction to the to, to the early season losses. Um, do you think something changed in the board's position towards the back end of the window when they, uh, they shut up shop? I, I don't think much changed. I think what you actually saw is what you've seen in several windows now is a lack of decisiveness. And that probably comes down to the extent to which, you know, the manager is still all powerful, all overseeing in terms of transfers, but just isn't quite up to the pace of what's needed now. Modern football in the transfer window is ruthless, absolutely ruthless, devious and very, very difficult. So you have to be decisive. You have to start off at the beginning of the window absolutely understanding what you're going to do with your own squad and how your own squad is feeling, i.e., are they genuinely going to sign on again? Do they want to stay? Are they good for the club? And who do you want to go out and sign? If you start off in June and July saying Alexis Sanchez absolutely isn't for sale under any consideration, then on transfer day deadline, you're trying to do a, you know, a, a triangular swap deal for him. You've got it all wrong. That's not going to work. If you start off you know, spend half your window saying Alex Oxley chamberlain is one of the future players for the club and you put a lot of time into him and he's going to get a big offer and he's not going anywhere, and then you sell him, you lose your authority as a manager. And it doesn't really matter if Arsene loses his authority with me or you. What matters if he, is if he loses his authority with the other 22. And clearly he has when you see the description, or, or we know the players aren't renewing their contracts and the players that are uncertain about the direction under him or where it's going. Arsenal absolutely went through this transfer window without a rock-solid plan or focus on what they were going to do, which I believe emanates from the manager, and we all saw the output that that, that gives the club at the end of the day. Do you think the Wenger's decision to hold on to the players and like his staunch position at the start of the window, um, do you think the club indulged him in the hope that he would change his mind and try and sell the players? Or do you think the whole transfer window was on Wenger's say-so? Of course it's on Wenger's say-so. I mean, we saw how he, you know, we know that Arsene Wenger runs that club. We know that there were kind of attempts to put in a director of football or put some more control around him. But one of his conditions for signing up again and his chat with Stan Kroenke when he signed up again straight after the cup final was he wouldn't have any interference. So we know we have the age-old problems that, that Wenger does all of the thinking and all of the planning, only he doesn't in some ways. And clearly he, you know, he changed his mind. I also think there may have been some messages sent to the club, which is, you know, I will make the decision on players rather than actually sitting down and thinking through where he's at. I'm told it came as a great surprise to him when Oxlade Chamberlain said that he didn't want to stay and was definitely going whatever. Now, put aside your view on whether or not Oxlade Chamberlain going is a good thing or not, and it's probably not a disaster for Arsenal at all. But isn't it worrying that your manager isn't in touch with one of the players he picked more than 30 times last season about what he's really thinking of the club? Isn't it worrying that your two star players 
you know, a year ago were kind of using the excuse of the uncertainty around the manager of reasons why they weren't renewing. Now he has renewed. They're finding any excuse going not to sign their contract. There's a lot of telling signs underneath what happened, and they don't read well for Arsenal at the moment. One of the more disturbing stories to come out of the club this summer was the one that centred around Arsenal not having uh, funds to make big transfers towards the end of the window when everything was going wrong. I know the AST has very strong opinions on the club's finances. Do you want to talk us through that? It's widely accepted that the Arsenal Supporters Trust analysis of Arsenal's finances are very on the ball. You know, we have former finance directors and banking people who do this work for us reviewing the report and accounts and we do liaise with the club and we're very careful in the figures we put out and they're widely reported and talked about and accepted by the club and by others and the situation was very clear. Arsenal had round about 90 million to spend in this transfer window. That's 90 million net. So if they can secure more from um, other players being sold or loan fees and that figure goes up um, and actually that's a, that's, a, that's a very conservative figure because what we must remember that if you buy a player let's just say you buy a player for 40 million in reality you're only going to spend 10 million on him in the first season because you tend to allocate it in chunks you know, over the four years, and you will, of course, spend on his wages, but you don't allocate his entire wage bill in the first season. You just allocate the first season's wages. Um, and sometimes Arsenal will sort of play it up a little bit because they are conservative spenders. Um, and that 90 million also takes into account, it would have probably been about 110, 115 million if we'd made the Champions League. So, but that was the figure. I think what happens is they get they end up so bamboozled by spin of trying to you know explain where they are and why a target got away and what they're doing that you see these bizarre stories coming out about not having any money left. Well, that kind of went wrong a little bit when they then offered huge money on the final transfer day for a player. Um, and there's absolutely Pete they could have they could have spent money on um, more players and increased the wage bill a bit this season. I don't think that what went wrong was a result of finances. I think it was a, a problem of strategy and decisiveness. So um, what do you think of uh, like sort of one of the conspiracy theories uh, being peddled that, uh, that Stan Kroenke wants to keep cash in the bank to fund his other ventures uh, in the US? I think I, it's possible, and I understand the theory, which is that you know, if Arsenal is used almost as collateral against other interests that he has. But I, I do think it's very unlikely. I think what is correct is that Stan Kroenke hasn't put a penny into Arsenal and won't, and that Stan Kroenke sees Arsenal as an investment, a long-term capital investment. And you know what he'll be most interested in that's going to happen this year? Not, nothing for Arsenal he's going to be interested in the value of the Premier League domestic TV contract, which goes out for tender at the end of this year. And I think we'll know the, we'll know the next financial figure in kind of February, March next year. That's what Stan Kroenke bought. Stan Kroenke bought media rights. He bought sport media rights in the Premier League, the most watched sport in the world. And he doesn't really care too much whether every penny in the bank is spent or some of it sits there. And it's kind of like an unhappy marriage of convenience that he's ended up with a manager who also doesn't care whether it's all spent and is absolutely driven with using every penny to, to, to make the team as strong as possible. So I, it's, 
I don't actually think that it's all to do with funding the stadium in LA. I think it's more just to do with a lack of interest. Um, and he doesn't drive the club. He's not there every day. He's not the David Dean. How do I get a winning team? How am I better? Not kicking every ball like a Maramovic. He's not, you know, aggressive like a Mourinho, where you absolutely see someone who thinks about everything to make his team win. And I think you put the alliance of Benger and Kroenke together and you have what we've got now, which is a club that drifts along, content to be a player rather than a winner. So interesting uh, uh, topic that you raised there about um, the Premier League rights. Uh, like One would assume we're coming to the point where an Amazon, uh, Google and a Netflix style um, media purchaser might make a bid uh, and we'll be able to distribute uh, season tickets on TV um, do, I would imagine there's going to come a point where we hear peak TV rights like, would, would you say that there's a tipping point for Stan Kroenke when the, the value of the club can't continue to increase a, a, a certain pace or there might be a plateau of like read it, you know, watchers it, around the world I think if you're optimistic that there might become a time when he cuts out I think it might be a long way away because while the mind almost boggles at how high the domestic Premier League rights have got and can they go any higher, but they always seem to. I think the potential around the world is still untapped, and I'm sure many people listening to this now will be in the States or be in Asia. You know, you've only got to think that football is only starting to really get its toehold into India and China and that whole growing Asian audience. I know it's becoming big in the States and, you know, the advantages it grows in the States is, you know, a very rich economy where people do pay for rights. So I think there is a, there is a long, long way to go in value, even if it's in overseas rights, because there'll come a point surely where the English fans just can't pay any more for the football that they're watching. But, you know, if you think that, you know, you've still got a third of the world still to get broadband or satellite broadband and that growing middle class in the developing nations, who as they become wealthier, will watch sport and pay for it. I think that there's a lot of value still to come, not in Arsenal so much, but in Premier League football, which, of course, Arsenal are one twentieth of. So, uh, so no quick get out of jail with Stan uh, coming up. I, I really don't think so. I think we're there. I think that the strategic decision when it comes will be when the son is genuinely in charge. And, you know, does he actually want long term to have the property in London? Does he enjoy it? Does he see value in it? Is it all about legacy and the sort of conky name going on? Or will he will he kind of get out and cash in on it? I think that Cronky see, you know, sees the long-term value of the media rights. I think there's also an element of, I'm not going to let that bunch of whites chase me out or, you know, uh, Uzbekistan, Russia and buy me out and I'm staying put. So I, you know, it's not maybe what everyone wants to hear, but I would fully expect the Cronky family to still have Arsenal in 2025. I suppose on the plus, uh, uh, Josh Kroenke does seem to be taken by uh, by Thierry Henry, so uh, like, maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll see a, 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 a different sort of change. So um, back on uh, back on the transfer window, um, one of the most uh, shocking parts of the transfer window was uh, BBC gem David Ornstein letting rip. Um, at the club, um, I know that you've been in contact with him and, and, and you know him personally. It would be interesting to get your take on uh, on, on that little rant. 
Um, David is a is a very very good journalist with very good contacts, and a lot of people think it's just if you like the club, but it isn't. David knows all of the big super agents. He got contacts in the you know in the boardroom above and beyond Arsenal as well as Arsenal themselves, and I think everyone respects him as being very very accurate. We always get almost get the joke now, don't you, Ornstein Yorical? Um, I think that he perhaps started to say more than he usually would because he felt he was getting a little bit messed around by some of the briefings that he was getting, or you know, or it wasn't there wasn't enough clarity out there, and he understood that. I would say that the notes that David put out there, and I know he's done an interview to further expand it, I would say, you know, there may be a little thing here or there where, you know, where does he really know or is he certain, but I would give you a 95% plus on David having all of that absolutely accurate. So uh, so he, he's obviously getting his uh, information from lots of places because so, he, he mentioned the £150 million summer at the start. And then by the end, he was being briefed that the money wasn't there. And you think that to protect his, it's like almost protecting his integrity to a certain degree. I, I think that, you know, he gets so many inquiries and so much interest into it all now. And I mean, it did get messy this, this summer and there are different messages coming out. Don't forget that there are two, maybe three camps inside Arsenal. There's a very narrow Wenger camp. Then there's a sort of Gazidis and Gilanella, the executives. And then there is the, you know, I could even say four. Then there's a cup of the boardroom and then there's Stan Kroenke. So, you know, and there were, the messages might not always be the same coming from all of them. And I think that David Ornstein felt the need to do some clarity and tie it all up. And, and that's what he did. And I think it was very helpful for everybody. So do you think uh, there will be any off, will there be any impact of those leaks that uh, all of the uh, excuses that Wenger's hidden behind for years were kind of exposed and the club uh, it look a little bit of a shambles to the outside world, even more so uh, than they have done in the past? Does, do, does any of this get through to um, Gazidis or Stan or are we just stuck with this forever until Wenger decides to go? Oh, there's no doubt that it gets through to Ivan Gazidis because he gets very grumpy about it. I mean, sometimes he comes on to me, you know, in the suggestion that, oh, you're being so unhelpful or why do I have to deal with all of this? But it's correct and it's accurate. You know, Ivan Gazidis has the problem or maybe, you know, it isn't the problem. Maybe there comes a point where he has to think about his own integrity and whether he stays or not. Ivan Gazidis is a pretty smart operator and a chief executive who knows what he's doing. But if he came out and told the truth about what happened over the last six months, the the place would fall apart. You know, he can't actually state in public that his board was split on keeping Arsene Wenger, although we all know that it was. It absolutely was. He can't state in public the huge frustration he has in getting the manager to use all the resources available for him. So, you know, his job in some ways is to, pre- is to present the smooth facade over a system that's going wrong. And he even said, you know, he told the fans forum on Saturday that Arsene, the agreement for Arsene Wenger to stay was only absolutely made and cemented on the Monday after the cup final, which everyone kind of knew, but he confirmed it with a discussion with Kroenke. So, you know, Gazidis was facing a situation where he might have had to find a new manager on that Monday. He'd absolutely been doing some discreet soundings out in the months before. Um, he, he needed to because he might have been caught without a manager. It would have been unprofessional if he hadn't. And we also know that when he talks about catalyst of change, 
interestingly a phrase he, he hates now and blames others for pinning on him too much. But he said it, and his director of communications, Mark Ganella, you know, briefed it for him before anyone else reported it back from the meetings. He does want to be that, and he was doing that. And I still believe even now he he believes that he's putting in place an infrastructure that although he couldn't say it that is is really going to motor or he hopes motor post Arsene Wenger. So um, uh, you, you, you're not just a representative of, uh, of the AST. You are um, a fan, uh, home and away. Uh, so it would be good to just get some of your own personal opinions um, moving forward. So how do, you, how do you see the season panning out now after a good victory against well, I Bournemouth? Don't, I don't think the season's going to be a disaster. I never have. I, I expect that we'll be in the running for a Champions League spot, you know, maybe scraping fourth or third. Quite a lot will depend on how much we throw at the Europa League. That the Europa League is quite debilitating in the sense of there's a lot of games you have to play even more games, four more overall than the Champions League. But also it puts you on that Thursday Sunday cycle, and that's always like you're catching up and behind. And if when you start getting into the last sixteen, the quarterfinals, the games start getting a bit tougher. And what you'll probably find is that, you know, Arsenal won't know for certain whether or not they'll make Champions League the other way. And that's what they've got to do. The club is in an absolute dire straits if it, if it does two years in a row out, particularly as it's heading into a big commercial sponsorship renewal and it will need to attract big players post Sanchez and um, Ozil. Sorry, so to come back to what I was saying there, I really think it's hard to read where exactly where Arsenal will finish because of this how much will they throw at the Europa League? But it's still a very good squad. I mean, we wanted it to be made even stronger in the transfer window. But, I mean, quite frankly, it would be embarrassing not to come better than fourth or fifth. It's a wage bill of nearly 200 million quid. You know, Bournemouth, who we easily put to the sword yesterday, I think they're on 40 million, 45 million. Spurs, who will probably come higher in the league again, unless Wembley becomes a real albatross, are still working on a wage bill about 70 million less than Arsenal. So we should do relatively well. I feel it's going to be, though, a real knife edge of whether or not we get back into that Champions League. And as I say, two years in a row will be really, could set the club into a situation where we really fall into what I would call the second tier of English football, the kind of Spurs, Liverpool, Arsenal, where you're kind of, you've got a fighting chance, but, you know, there are three that have permanently moved above you. So, um, so touch and go whether we make it into the Champions League. What about, um, what, what, do you, what do you think about the future of, of the manager? It, well, I find it, where I find this season harder than ever to predict, how are Ozil and Sanchez going to really play? You know, I felt last year, one of the reasons we did that good run at the end is that quite a lot of the players were playing for the Champions League out of personal selfishness. Not only do they get big bonuses if they get in it, but that's where they want to be. If Sanchez and Ozil know that they're not going to be at Arsenal next year, are they really motivated at that tough January or February away game? How much are they thinking about the World Cup if they're there? Well, I mean, Ozil will be. Sanchez, it's touch and go now. Although a lot of people, I think it was the funniest thing I ever saw were Arsenal fans saying, oh, keep Sanchez. He'll be motivated playing for a World Cup place. I mean, come on. Do they understand football? Was Sanchez really in doubt of not getting picked for the World Cup? He had a few (laughs) dodgy games for Arsenal. The Chile manager would have been saying, hey, mate, between January and March, going to have a winter break. You know, take your foot off the pedal. Make sure you're fresh for me. 
that's what I can't read at the moment. These two or three key players, do they really put their foot in when it matters? Uh, United away later in the season, knowing that, you know, if they do a serious injury in February or March and they've taken this risk of running the contract down, it costs them millions, tens of millions. And we won't really know the attitude that's going to come for it. I think it's impossible. For, and they might not even know themselves as individuals how they approach that game. And the margins in football are so small. You know, if Ozil and Sanchez play at 90%, not 100% of capacity, that's the difference of Arsenal coming sixth or third. You know, and it's hardly noticeable, but you add it all together, every Arsenal player being 5% down for various reasons. I don't know about you, Pete, but how, how can we possibly know what the mindset is going to be if Sanchez has signed a pre-contract with Bayern Munich in January? Is he going to throw everything up? giving a farewell hurrah to Arsenal? Or will he think, sod this, I'm off soon, you're not going to see much more from me? I don't think any of us can honestly say, can we? No, no. I think the... Uh, the uh, uh... I think some of the early warning signs are there, uh, like the the switch off against Liverpool, the golfing class, uh, and some of the attitudes on the pitch when the chips are down. So um, I think when the chips are down, in the big games, you can't give an inch, like I was explaining there. If you're 1% down in four or five players, the margins are so small, and it's just, there's just not quite that hunger. And what I struggle with is why are they going to roll their sleeves up and fight and cover that extra mile and run back and stick that tackle in in February, March, April next year when they know they're gone on May the 15th. And I've just, that's what worries me. That's what really worries me at the moment. Um, We know that when the chips are down with the fans um, as well, uh, that things get toxic pretty quickly and that impacted Wenger. Do you think, um, do you think another bad season with the fans could uh, see Wenger reconsidering his future next summer if he has another bad year or the, or even the club? He, he is very sensitive um, and sometimes actually doesn't respond to it particularly well to support the criticism and the noise. Um, and I feel, what I feel would make him reconsider would be not, for him, the real, the real metal is Champions League. And, you know, if we get in the Champions League next year, even if we get it by goal difference in fourth place, he will definitely do his final year because he's still got this belief, they all do, that he can win the Champions League, which is the thing that absolutely keeps him awake at night because he knows, he knows that's the measure of the big managers. He's actually got a very bad record in it. He's only, he's only made one final in his whole 35 years of going. And given the clubs and the resources and players he's had, he knows he should have done better than that. But I think if he falls outside the Champions League, which obviously means the fans are all going to be grumpy and the follow-up to this year, I think that, I wouldn't say for certain, but I think that there is, there would be a considerable chance that he could go this summer. Ooh, that's interesting. Interesting predictions. I've also spoken to um, people in and around the club who don't think that he'll last. Um, don't think he'll last this season, especially if the squad um, d- defects against him further. I mean, really, it, I think that 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 sense of the players not responding to him. The other thing is there may there may even then be more pressure from within the club because they saw how calamitous it was to have a year of willy or won't he and is he going or not and actually you know if he were to get out next summer 
because things weren't going very well. It would actually be, from his point of view, a good thing to have done for the club. Not that I think, I think he's 90%, like all managers are, about their own ego and where they are. But it would, you know, he might find pressure comes on because Arsenal can't possibly have him hanging around, umming and ahhing, not saying what his situation was, um, with all the difficulties. And it's one hell of a difficult, whatever Arsenal do, I mean, even if they get into the Champions League next year, it's one hell of a difficult summer because look at the contractual situation. You've got Ozil and Sanchez who will almost certainly go elsewhere. Bellerin will, you know, I'm not sure that, that no, you're not going anywhere. It will work again. If he plays well enough for Barcelona come back in, that'll be tough. You'll have Ramsey down to one year. You've got one or two others. You've got a squad rebuild that probably needs more money than they've got and some tough, decisive decision-making. And I think it might make this transfer window look quite sweet and lightness compared to what's coming. 3-0 to the Arsenal. Bournemouth at home. Welbeck got a brace. Feels like something we should really, really celebrate and be very, very happy about. Jack Wilshire's old team coming out, congratulating everyone afterwards with a little dig at the manager, it felt like. But nevertheless... We won. We back to uh, to winning ways, and it was quite incredible to see us play a left back on the left, a right back at the right, a centre midfielder in the centre, and a striker on top. Pete, how did you feel about team selection before the game? I felt like Wenger had finally come to his senses uh, and and stopped with uh, with the madness. Like the team team looked fairly balanced. Um, we had a really hard-working performance from the front three. Um, the midfield looked pretty good. I mean, uh, the defence didn't really get the chance to look anything other than kind of pedestrian because there wasn't really much coming their way. I mean, it's really difficult uh, with those sorts of games to work out, were Arsenal really good or were Bournemouth absolutely appalling? And I, I think it was probably a mix a mix of the two. Um, like you'll always take a three 0 win, but um, that that performance from Bournemouth looked like the sort that uh, is given just before a manager's fired. And uh, I think it was that four on the bounce they've lost so far. So not looking good for Eddie Howe, but uh, plenty of positives to take from that. But my my biggest positive was definitely um, Welbeck. I think everybody at Arsenal really wants him to do well. Um, he's got. Uh, fantastic uh, physique, brilliant work ethic. He, I think he reads the game really well in the sense that he always gets into like brilliant positions, but he just has brain farts at the moment of truth. So it was nice to see that uh, this weekend, it still looks like he's, he's having those brain farts because that header did not look like it went exactly where he wanted, wanted it to. And I'm pretty sure for the second, that was a pass across the face of goal that found the back corner. But it doesn't matter. I think he needs confidence. And my big hope, for this season with Danny Welbeck uh, is that he has that, uh, that Adebayor like season when uh, Thierry Henry went uh, and then like the cloud was lifted. So I'm not saying that Sanchez is giving him dagger eyes, but um, maybe a bit of the pressure will be lifted from this season and we'll see a, a, a different, a different player. Matt, how did you feel about the game and, and Sanchez starting on the bench? Um, I think it's probably the right decision. Um, he'd been away, uh, long travel back. Um, so I think it was probably the right decision. There's going to be more games coming up. There's no need to sort of rush him in. So it all sort of worked out pretty well. The interesting thing is going to be seeing how they all fit together. Because at the moment, Lacazette looks like an unbelievable finisher. And who doesn't want that finishing power in the team? 
Welbeck uh, is obviously hitting some form, but it's going to be interesting to see how we can fit them all in the team together. My concern is that we'll try and fit them all in the same team together and end up with an unbalanced team again, because that seems to be a sort of a, a vengerism right now. Or oh, let's get the players in and figure out the system after. And maybe one of them is going to have to drop out. And given uh, his sense of commitment to the club right now, maybe Sanchez is the one who can be our super sub for now, as opposed to our star player. I kind of agree with that. I think Sanchez should be benched because he will be lethal if he feels that he's not getting to shine on a big stage um, coming into contract negotiations with other big clubs. So I think it's I think it's the right decision. It's also nice to see that Welbeck, who seems to always be rewarded by Wenger for loyalty and who, after having a bad performance, never really gets dropped. It's almost like Wenger, he's really trying to help Welbeck get a good game. And it felt like this time he he did have one. I agree with you, Pete, on, on Welbeck. His goals kind of always looks accidental. Like, it looks like he, he got hit in the head by the ball for the hitter. And um, it's going to be interesting to see now if that brings him some confidence how can that affect his overall game? Because he's incredibly intelligent when, when he finds space and he's that kind of player that we will need with like a set who might not contribute that much on top all the time as a player like Sherwood, for example, who brings midfielders into to the game, but who will finish and who will score that one or two opportunities that he gets per game. And we, it's going to be crucial for people like Welbeck to, to find the goal. How, Pete, did you feel about Coquelin and the fact that, I mean, he was an incredible um, way of getting, getting or reacting to an injury? I've never seen someone hamstring propel someone up in the air like that. It was, it was absolutely beautiful. What do you think that means for the team? Because I know you've been talking a little bit about how underused El Neni is, for example. It definitely was the most spectacular way uh, to, to bow out of the first team for um, three months and uh, and obviously feeling for him to have that happen to him so early in the season. But it does present us with a tantalising uh, opportunity because um, I think as uh, English uh, Arsenal fans, uh, you always want to see uh, some of the homegrown players come through. So I think what, uh, I think what will be telling for Jack Wilshere's career is in the absence of Coquelin, is it going to be Elneny who steps into the side, um, a player that Wenger um, had preference for as centre-back in pre-season, or um, does he give Jack Wilshire the nod? I know that um, Wilshire played quite a few games for England a couple of seasons back where he played in that sort of like deep-lying, more defensive uh, midfield role, and he expressly uh, asked Wenger if he could take on that position. So, if you had a, a motivated Jack Wilshire sitting deep, playing with discipline, uh, and then what you have over here, what what he has over Coughlin is the ability to pass, break the lines, dribble with the ball, play the all-action hero. Like, I don't know. I'm I'm getting excited about it, even though he hasn't put a performance like that in for years, but. Jack Wilshire sitting at the base of midfield by accident, winning that new deal. I don't know. It's just, it's got, it's got fairy tale written all over it. I'm pretty excited about that thought too. So 
No Champions League football this week for us. We are Spurs staying it up. Thursday night against Cologne. It's the first game of our Europa League campaign. I mean, does anyone know any, any, anything much about Cologne? The only thing I knew about them was that Lucas Podolski has a tattoo of them, supported them, all that stuff. Does anyone, does anyone have any real intel about them? No, 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 no I don't. They lost the last game against Augsburg with 3-0, so they're, they're coming in shaky. So they may well be the Bournemouth of the Bundesliga, which may well suit us. So um, let's rather than focusing on the game and the players themselves, is it going to be possible to get excited about the Europa League on Thursday? At this moment in time, it just seems like a game we don't need ahead of what could be a potentially semi-defining game for Arsene Wenger in this uh, early stage of the season? I think a little bit like Mourinho knew last season that if he didn't win Europa League and didn't make Champions League, he would not be able to attract the talent that he needed to assemble the squad that he has this year. Arsenal isn't an Arsenal, you know, it's in the same shape here. If we don't get Champions League next year, which we won't because we won't end up top four, I believe, this is our shot at it. And unless we want like a complete catharsis where we lose our best players next season and we don't have anything to learn new players in with, uh, I think that's going to be setting us up for a couple of years of real pain. So I, I really hope we win this. And I think just like Jose last season was, the big bet is Europa League. That's an easier task to win than it is to finish fourth in, champ- in, in Premier League, which is quite astonishing. It says something about the quality of Europa League, but it also says something about uh, the opportunity that we have. So I am going to get excited about it, and I'm going to be very disappointed if we don't take it seriously because it's our shot at, at any sort of remedy. And in terms of Thursday, uh, Pete, do you want to see us playing as strong a team as possible to get off to a good start? Um, or is it literally about scraping by in this first half of the season so that we're still in, we actually get to the knockout stages in the new year? Well, I, I, my big thing about Thursday, from a fan's perspective, is that's probably a preferable night to go and watch a football game than a Tuesday or Wednesday. So I think we've got a win there. Like no one minds going into work on a Friday with a bit of a hangover, but when you start on a Tuesday, like that can make for a long week. So I'm excited uh, for the fans. We've got some. But there's some pretty easy games there. I mean, when you're when you're looking at your your group and you you don't know two of the teams uh, to start with, or or, or or you know them from like the, the Nottingham Forest um, era, you know that should be a positive. We should we should trounce this group, and we should be able to trounce this group with um, with a second string team. Um, I don't think it's I'm not sure that it's quite worthy of like full on Carling Cup, um, but I think um, your point, Alfred, about this being an easier route. Uh, to a Champions League place, I'm, I'm not so sure. I mean, you look at the uh, look at the winners over over the previous years. I'm, I'm struggling to see many teams that we would have beaten. Um, United last year, I think if we played them in a final, probably not have beaten them. Um, Sevilla, uh, three years in a row. Chelsea, uh, Atleti, uh, Porto. I mean, like it's gonna it's gonna be the struggle in the same way as it is in the Champions League for us. So um it'll be interesting to see how uh, successful we are. But I, I, I don't think it matters what our opinion on what we should do in the Europa League is because Fenger will go 
for it regardless. Um, I don't believe that he would do much in the way of rotation this Thursday. I think he'll put out um, a really, really strong side. I'd imagine that we'll probably see um, Sanchez getting some game time in his legs. Um, I, I, I would probably throw it in the group stage to a certain degree, um, but just by playing second stringers. But I don't think uh, I don't think he's going to do that, and I think we're really going to struggle fitness wise in the Premier League, especially when we get into those killer months of November and December. So we've got to go for it. It's our best route back into the Champions League. And somehow we're going to have to find a way to manage those tired legs after a Thursday night with some tough challenges ahead. Lots of uh, lots to think about for Mr. Wenger. So the big one uh, this Sunday, Matt, you are flying back especially to take in uh, the, the, the Arsenal versus Chelsea game. Um, I think everybody's really excited. So the big, uh, the big question that we've got is, what, what, what is our best eleven? So many brilliant options now. We're we're in form. Arguably, we are Conte's bogey team. Uh, as much as he can have one after that terrific first season, Matt, what are you thinking uh, when it comes to starting eleven at the weekend? And are you excited to go back for this game? Tell me, be honest. Uh... Yeah, you know, there's the usual trepidation uh, because for years we've had an inferiority complex when it comes to playing Chelsea. It sort of really started with Mourinho and we've, we've gone into every game fearing the worst. But you're right, the reality is since Conte has come in, we've beaten them more than they've beaten us. Uh, and for a team like them that are actually a lot better than us, it's pretty remarkable that we've achieved uh, the results that we have. So... I don't think we're going to go in scared, which is the main thing. I think we're going to go in there thinking uh, we've beaten them a couple of times already, the last two times we've played them, um, and we can go and get a result there. And I think all the players are going to feel that. Um, We're still worrying about the results and the performance against Liverpool, but I think the players would have actually moved on. And for them, it's a real opportunity because if they were to get even a point, but definitely a win the Liverpool game would be relegated to history and we'd be looking at, you know, three wins, two defeats in the Premier League and we'd be on the ascendancy after a, after a couple of positive results. So I think that's going to be in all the players' minds. Alfred, um, against uh, like a, a pretty solid uh, defence and a well-drilled system, uh, the, the, the number nine position um, is going to be interesting. Do you go with the form man? Danny Welbeck through the middle, or do you go for the clinical finisher um, of, of Lacazette, your big money signing? Like how, are you, how are you thinking that? Well, if you look at Wenger in away games, <clears throat> he likes to set up for pace. And when he thinks the team is going to sit deep, he wants to counterattack well. And that m- tends to mean Welbeck, as we saw against Liverpool. And he doesn't yet trust Lacazette. In a, in a pressing system, it seems, which I think is wrong. I think we are going to have to instill our finisher with confidence. He's going to have to pick him now so that he gets into uh, a good streak because if you have a striker that, that is filled with confidence and can finish like that, we won't need that many chances every game going forward as we need if, if we have Welbeck on top, for example, who needs about 15 of them to score one. So I really hope that we pick like a set. I think he might pick Welbeck. And I, I also think that there is something around, you know, the, the Chelsea team 
which is going to probably gel and click, I think, coming up to the to this game. Uh, Hazard is going to be back, so they're going to have creativity and pace, which usually we we have a hard time dealing with. And with Sapa Costa in on right back, and with Danny Drinkwater being being um, available off the bench, probably with Fabregas looking really good at the moment. That's a it's a very interesting Chelsea side that we meet that is by far more motivated and technical, I dare say, than one that we have beaten in the last few games that, that we've uh, that we faced them. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a really interesting game. And I think Conte is gonna see this as a big test of of his new squad, so to speak. We also look at Morata, who has been a clinical uh, finisher with the head which is something that we usually struggle with. So that's going to be interesting to see as well how we deal with that at the back. Because may I remind you that you were doubting Morata at the beginning of the season? Ooh, yeah. You said you didn't think he was... I was. You didn't think he was going to be uh, up to scratch? I didn't think he was going to be better than Diego Costa, and I'm not sure I've been proven wrong yet. Uh, Matt, one of the big problems that... uh, that Arsenal came up against uh, Liverpool is that we went uh, we went pound for pound um, and tried to to play them at their own game and it went horribly wrong. Do you think uh, Arsenal will spring some surprises on Conte? Do you think that there will be any learnings from the Liverpool game, or do you expect us to go toe to toe with a formation that we stole off the Chelsea manager? Like what 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 surprises can Wenger spring this weekend? I think we're going to sit. We, we we know the template for how he's going to try and win this game, and the template is going to be the FA Cup final because that's a very Wenger thing to do, to look back at a recent success against a team and try and match it. The reality was the reason we won the FA Cup final was because of a- application and discipline, and uh, it was such an un-Arsenal-like performance. I just don't know if we're going to see more of what, more than one of those in a year-long period. You know, that was a, that was a one-off for Arsenal. So um, I'm sure he'll be looking at that and going, that's what, that's, that's what we need to do. But I'm sure Conte will also um, be looking at some of the techniques that we used. I mean, I remember in that game, it was the Ramsey-Xhaka sort of, uh, they were almost in front of each other, uh, basically to shut Kante down and to not give him any time on the ball. And it worked really well, but I'm sure Conte will have a plan for that because Conte is a very adaptable manager and um, and it'll be interesting to see how they set up to sort of counter those uh, strategies that we almost chanced upon when we played them recently. So, um, knowing, so, so using the FA Cup final as a template, uh, one of the highlights of that Cup final was uh, the game by Danny Welbeck. Uh, and how he hustled and he harangued um, Chelsea from the front. Um, with that in mind, uh, what's where, who are you going with um, in the number nine, Welbeck or, or Lacazette? Um, I think that Wenger, after the Liverpool game, came in for an enormous amount of bu- abuse, uh, rightly so, for not playing Kalatinak and Lacazette at Anfield. The idea being, what was the point of buying these players and then not playing them in your hardest game so far? And I don't think that he's going to risk doing that all over again. Because if we've just beaten someone with those players and then he now takes them out the team and we don't get a win, 
it's going to be the knives going to be out, and it's going to be like, what the hell was the point of buying these players if you're not playing them against the toughest teams? So I anticipate both of those playing. The question then becomes: Is it Welbeck or Sanchez? And it wouldn't surprise me to see Sanchez start on the bench, Kalasanak definitely at left wing back, and uh, and seeing how we get on. But like like the cup final, um, it really all depends on who scores first. Because if we have a decent start to the game and score first, then it's going to completely transform our confidence uh, and ability for the rest of the game. We're a confidence team. But I fear for us if we concede a relatively early goal because one thing that seems uh, you see at the moment is that our confidence is quite fragile. Alfred, uh, big question for you then. In a, in a game of marginal gains uh, where 2 or 3% can make the difference, do you risk putting uh, an uncommitted player like Sanchez uh, into the side uh especially um, considering that it's fresh in the minds of, of of his teammates that he wanted to go to Manchester City recently. What do you say to that? Yeah, I definitely would. I mean, <clears throat> the game plan has to be to attack Victor Moses and to attack Chelsea on the left. And with Kolasinac and Sanchez on the left, I think that's our only way to win this game because that's where they are the weakest. And... He's Conte has kind of shown that by by acquiring uh, Zappa Costa as well on the right, that he doesn't trust Victor Moses barely defensively nor um, actually attacking as well. I think he had like three assists or something last year. So that's definitely where we need to attack them. And Sanchez, even if he's performing on 30%, I think will be the right choice there. We've also never really seen how he links up, up with uh, with Kolasinac, which I think is going to be interesting to see. So, yes, I would. I'd like to just say I love Kolasinac so much. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah, his his little partnership with Aaron Ramsey was quite interesting as well. And, and you know, the, I I know that we won't see it at the weekend, but um, I, I would uh, love Aaron Ramsey to have a brilliant season. I'd love him to stay fit beyond Christmas for once because like, there's there's an immense player in there somewhere. Um, so finally, before we leave this section, uh, predictions, Matt. I'm going to go for one all, Alfred. I think we're going to lose it with three nil. Uh, I'm going to go with a cheeky 1-0 victory. So that's the uh, finish to uh, to another early morning uh, Arsenal Opinion podcast. 25. feel really good about that, guys. just want to say thank you uh, to Matt. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Alfred. Thank you very much. And we'll see you all next week. Ciao for now. Get right to the romance and find the way to wow this Valentine's with 1-800-Flowers.com. From classic roses and bouquets to decadent chocolate-covered berries, gourmet treats, and more. Surprise your Valentine with 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $39.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Sports Social Podcast Network.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.